Today I wanted to do a message that was more like a teaching. And you know, last week we started to talk about, and we've been laying this foundation for several weeks really, for several months, of what, what it means to walk in the Spirit, what New Testament Christianity really and truly is, what it looks like walked out practically. And you know, last week, for the very short review, was we literally went into the aspects of Christianity listed in um, 1 Corinthians 12, talking about the empowerments, the endowments, the giftings, the gifts of the Spirit. And so we're really seeking to kind of go through those giftings. And if you were here or your podcast listener, you know, you heard uh, the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, you know, another gift of faith, gifts of healings, all by the same spirit, the practical outworkings of God in our life, which he uses to impact the world around us, Um, that everybody's been gifted and endowed with the Holy Spirit in this life. And he functions and flows through them often initially in in practical giftings which they found themselves to have abilities that they didn't have before and so you know the corinthian church was a very wild place and a very wild church and so but the apostle paul was actually listing these things out and he's saying hey there's all these very variation of gifts that that god's given you but it's all the same god it's all the same spirit and so let's 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 run these meetings in a way of order instead of them just being chaotic. And so we, we were kind of going through that. If you'll know, we, you know if you'll remember, we touched into, it, it crosses into 1 Corinthians 13, which is our love chapter. You know, though I speak with the tongues of angels and men, but I don't have love, I'm basically like a sounding gong, which we actually did here in this building a couple weeks ago from the kids room if you guys remember that it's like what in the world is i didn't know they had one of those things but you know so that happened but um uh an annoying sound even the gifts of the spirit when they're not out of love they're not supposed to be for us they're for others but when we're using them for us to give ourselves a platform because it feels good to use them it's 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 hyper annoying yes and that's a lot of what religion is you know what i'm saying a lot of times it's, especially on the charismatic side of the tracks or the spirit-filled Christian side of the tracks, I even hate to use that word, but it can come across as just being this annoying, chaotic, kind of hyper-religion version of religion. You know what I mean? And so the Apostle Paul, when he's writing this letters, these letters, he's saying, let everything that you do be done in love because the giftings and the powers of God that have been entrusted with you, they don't work apart from love. Then they'll just be annoying and they'll actually do more harm than good. You know, so he sandwiches 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 with the chapter about let everything be done in love. And probably one of my favorite things that's said about love in there is that that love does not seek its own in, in 1 Corinthians 13, 5. And that's such a beautiful, like, there's no hidden motive. There's no agenda in love. It's actually for someone else. We're not loving so that we get some return, you know. There's, there's, there's nothing there other than we actually see the gift of God, the treasure of God that a person actually is, and we want to sow into that. We're catching vision and hope for someone else, and we, and we want to release that to them. You know, It's a beautiful thing. The gifts of the Spirit, they've kind of been made, especially like the prophetic gifts. There's such a bad name and connotation to them when you talk about them. And so I really wanted to go into this biblically and kind of really ground us in the Bible and just talk about what this looks like practically administrated in church, in our life, but also in the Bible itself. And the, the most 
perfect place to start is in love, you know. But also, he goes on and he lists all these gifts, 1 Corinthians 12. He talks about what love truly is. It's almost like a poem, 1 Corinthians 13. And then in 14, he goes into this, this quote about one prophetic gift, one spiritual gift, prophecy, that is also often very, very misunderstood. And you know, I went, <laughs> I'll just, I went to a Baptist church as a kid with my parents. And every once in a while, every once in a while, this guy, his, his name was Mr. Hill. And like after the, after the praise music would happen, he would start Shandai, Hyundai, Shandai, Hyundai real loud. Like, you know, about six rows back, a real big church. He's just like, Brrr. and like at first you're like, whoa, but, the, but you start getting used to it. Okay, that's what Mr. Hill, he, he does this once. It's like, it was like a quarterly thing. Every three months, I would say, Mr. Hill would just start going off. I mean, you look over and his face is turning red. His glasses are like, his head's just tilted back. And that's just kind of what we knew. And it would just be Shundai Hyundai. And sometimes it would end up with, and thus say it, the Lord. He would have a couple English, you know, some probably old English, New King James English. But it would be English quotes to kind of translate what he said. You know what I mean? And so my grid of prophecy was, was that's, I guess that's what that is. Mr. Hill must have that going on, Right. And I think that's a lot of people's grit of it. Or somebody on a microphone that's really usually very excited and he's calling out like sicknesses or diseases. I feel this here. You know what I mean? And that's prophecy because he's calling out something that's there and he's going to handle it or, or heal it or whatever. And so a lot of people, that's all they've ever seen. Or, 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 and, and I'm not going against that necessarily, but you know, that's not what we're talking about here. Right, that's just a lot of people's experience. And, and you know, when, when the Apostle Paul lists 1 Corinthians 12, he ends it before he goes into the, into the 1 Corinthians 13 that says, but earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I'll show you another way, a better way. And it's like he lists all these supernatural, discerning of spirits, that's one of my favorite ones. He lists all these different things that are spiritual endowments that people have been gifted in becoming Christians but he said, but earnestly desire the best ones. And it's just like, what'd you say? Oh, we can do that. We can, like our actual, own, our own will and our own desire and our own hunger. And it's like, yeah, the answer is yes. Then he lays out the love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. Then we're going to start off today. What we're going to do is we're going to look at um, 1 Corinthians 14. Because after he, first he does the gifts chapter. Then he does the love chapter. And then he does the prophecy chapter, which he is saying is the absolute most precious, important gift that you should actually want more than anything. And when we read this today, you're going to wonder, why have we never heard this before? Um, that's the way I think anyways. Um, but he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, pursue love and, des and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And it's pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Like, hey, like, he wasn't coming to shut these things down. He was saying, desire them, especially that you may prophesy. And we think, you know, King, New King James is, is nice and, um, you know, it's gentle. Desire spiritual gifts. But what that word literally means is to burn with zeal. If you actually look that up in the Greek, it means to desire earnestly, to strive, to busy oneself about him. To exert oneself. 
to burn with zeal, but in a good sense, like being heated or boiling with envy and rage. <laughs> it's like, what? It's a hot word. It's not a gentle word. It's like, well, you know, Mr. Hill just, I might have to cut this teaching now, but I don't even know if he's still around or what, but, oh, Mr. Hill, he's got that gift, so he shunned out Hyundai's, you know what I mean? And then he pops off prophecies. But that's just, that's just him. And, 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 and I'm not even... I'm not trying to validate or invalidate that, kind of, kind of not, but at the same time, what I'm saying is there's something to the biblical gift of prophecy that we're actually supposed to, to burn for, to have zealous, almost to covet after, is the way the translation is. Like, ooh, I want that. And I think, man, like that's such hot terminology, considering prophecy, and it makes you kind of want to know why. Like, like man, this is... This is something very profound. He says, For he who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. In the Spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue actually edifies himself. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort. There's these three things, and that's three of our mottos on our prophetic teams here. That New Testament prophecy, what this gift is, it's edification, it's edifying, meaning it builds people up. It's, it's exhortation, it's, it's encouraging. You know, and it brings comfort and peace to people. It's so, it's so sweet because Nicole's actually in there today with the kids, and their lesson is the ABCs of prophecy. That's what your kids are learning, by the way, if, if, if you're here right now. You know what I mean? The ABCs of what prophecy is. And the A's is the always... B is um, build up. See, you, I, have a, I have help because I forgot. Always build up. I love that one. C is to cheer up. Cheer up. <laughs> and D is to draw near. And I remember that one because it's so brilliant to me. Always. It's words that you pray and you give to someone else that they always build up. They never tear down. I was so scared. Like I said, I went to a big Baptist church my family did as a kid, but I was still scared that one of these days, one of these prophetic people was going to look at, look at the skinny kid on the eighth row, me, and call out, son, you've been doing some real naughty things because he was going to know. And that's what a lot of people think of prophecy. And it's not prophecy. That's what the accuser of the brethren does, and he's good at his job, but not our spirit. And, and it's, it always builds, you know, it always cheers, gives hope. And, it, and the most wonderful thing is that it draws near. It draws people to the Lord and not ourself. Oh, man. And I feel chills saying that. That's our kids' message today. It's something that draws people to God. It's not look at me, look at my big gift. You know, a gift is something we didn't do anything to earn. Now, in prophecy, obviously... There's, there's a play in the game like you can actually be trained, you can be equipped, that's Ephesians 4, in these giftings. And in prophecy, it's something that you can burn after in zeal and really zealously covet after in a, in a good way. I know those words sound bad, but you can burn with zeal after, like someone who's in a rage, but in pursuing these things to walk in them. But if you do this in love, it's because I want to draw people to the Lord. I want to be used of the Lord. Yes. It's so cool. The apostle goes on and says, you know, in verse 6, you know, if I come to you speaking in, in other languages, I, I won't profit you unless, unless you know what I'm actually talking about. 
if the trumpet makes a certain sound, who will prepare for battle? Likewise, unless you utter a tongue, words that are easy to understand, how will be known what is spoken? In verse 12, even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, because that's the, that's the people he was dealing with in the Corinthian church. A bunch of worldly pre- people, a lot of ex-prostitutes, witchcraft priestess prostitutes with shaved heads, and all these different people that were actually stepping into these gifts. And it's like, hey, no one's better than anybody, but it's just like it says in Ephesians 4, like all these gifts, it's different parts of the body that are working together to actually build. They're building something in unity. Since you're zealous for gifts, let it be for the edification of the church. And he goes on and he says, you know, several other uh, other things. He talks about tongues are, are for a sign, not for those who believe, but for unbelievers. Therefore, if the whole church comes together one place and everybody's speaking in tongues, and there comes in someone who's uninformed or an unbeliever, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Yeah, the UPS was running on Sundays and they walked in here in our church and everybody's doing that. They would, they would run right out the door and drop the package like these people are nuts. Well, I mean, religion's been around for a while, so they'd be like, oh, it's one of those places, you know? Probably got some snakes they dance with or something weird, you know what I mean? Some weird Christian sect or, you know, oh, Shonda, you know, whatever. And I'm not against praying in the Spirit. It does edify yourself. And it is very real. It's an aspect of New, Christian, New Testament Christianity, so it's not a slap on that. But what I'm saying is like, he's saying if they come in for, and I love this, if there comes in someone who's uninformed, or unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he's convinced by all, he's convicted by all. Not in the negative term of conviction. There's something that's so proved of God being real in him. And it says in verse 25, And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God. And it's like, interesting. If all prophesy, so here you have all these gifts popping off, all, these, all this basic chaos that's happening in their church meetings. And the Apostle Paul saying, it's great for you to earnestly desire the best gifts and even the best ones. But let me show you a better way. It's got to be rooted in love. You get that? Now earnestly desire the best, especially this one. Especially that you would prophesy especially that you would know things and you would speak the edification, exhortation, the comfort, the words of God himself that will draw people not to you, but to him. Not even to your church, but to him. It will, it will light them up. And he even says in verse 24 of 1 Corinthians 14, if an unbeliever or, or an uninformed person, and I love that there's a distinction there. If somebody that's not a believer or, golly, in our world, everybody's a believer, you know what I mean? Of some, in some way, shape, or form, or somebody that's just uninformed, I did not know. And that's what I've seen probably more than anything in my life is Christians coming to know the Lord. I didn't know I could talk with Him. I didn't know He cared about me. I didn't know He knew me on that level. Somebody who's uninformed, like, wait a second, I did not know it was like this. And those people become so lit. It's wonderful, man. It's incredible. If an unbeliever or uninformed person comes in, He's convinced by all, he's convicted by all, and the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down to his face, he will worship God. I absolutely love that. Verse 31 says, For you can all prophesy one by one. Who can? Everybody. Yeah. For you can all walk in this. That everybody can learn and be encouraged, but like, 
He's saying, hey, I'm not shutting this stuff down. I'm doing it in order. In verse 32, I love this. You can all prophesy, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. That's, that's, a, that's a champion verse right there. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, this doesn't mean you pop up in a service and you start Shundai Hyundai and screaming at me a prophetic word while I'm talking. You know, you know what I mean? It's like the spirits of the prophet. Well, I can't help it. When God comes on, I can't help it. So, no, 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 no. And the spirits of the prophet. That's what he's telling us. Hey, listen, ain't none of you out of control. God's not the author of that craziness. But you're all gifted and you're all equally important. You know what I mean? But... This, your spirit is subject to your own spirit. This isn't a drug trance. This isn't somebody possessed by a pythos, you know, divination, Acts 16, 16. This isn't one of these type of things where it's like, oh, oh, you know, I'm saying these things. I'm an oracle. You know what I'm saying? It's like, no, 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 no. Like he, he is, the Lord is gentle and kind. And he is in you. And you have the opportunity to partner with him. And sometimes it does feel so overwhelming when you really feel the word of the Lord you want to share to somebody an encouragement or something like that. You feel like, man, I, I want to, I really want to release this. But, but you're not out of control where you're just going to scream it and go nuts in the middle of a service or, you know, in the middle of your class if you're a student, you know, stand up doing all that. You know, anyhow. But I love this. I love this practical encouragement of actually walking in the prophetic ministry in our Bible that's rarely taught. I told you I went to a church a long time ago with my cousin one and the he was going to teach about the spiritual gifts, and I was like so excited about it. But because there's, when you just read through those, you just kind of sometimes you just kind of think like, where, why aren't we, why aren't we hearing about this stuff? Like, how's this implemented? Like, this seems like really important. The way it's talked about here seems like it's drastically important. And you go over to Hebrews, you go over to Ephesians three and Ephesians four, and it's just like, whoa. Then it really, we're not doing that today, but it's like then it really seems important. All these things like, whoa, what are we doing? What are we training and equipping here? Are we tra training the Christian, the empowerment of God, the empowerment of New Testament Christianity, the Holy Spirit walk, or, or is this? Are we just clubbing it? You know what I mean? But but prophecy is so profound. You know, sometimes when we do the prophetic teachings or the teaching about this, there's something in the. Um, a lot of scholars will call it. If maybe you've heard of it. It's called the law of first mention, um, and it's kind of like an interpretive deal. Um, but a law of first mention, it's not really a law, but it's something like if you want to define something and see its attributes, a lot of times you find it in the scripture where it was first mentioned. That makes sense? And so there's aspect of what prophecy is and, and even the term prophet is and prophesy. When you, when you go back and you look at those, those first mentions in the Bible, just like when Jesus is like, on this rock I'll build my church, the gates of hell will prevail. It's like when he first mentions it, he gives its description about what it's going to do. Um, you know, prophecy is very similar to that story. And, and the first person that was ever called a prophet, at least in our Bible, the way it was referred, that word, was Abraham, who's the father of faith, father of our faith. And it says in, in it's, uh, Genesis 20, verse 7, um, if, if you know the story, you know, Abraham, Abram, become Abraham, and he's, he's been called by God to basically become a great nation. God's chosen him to be this, and, but he's still de dealing with some fears and insecurities, so he's moving into a territory where there's other kings and people, and his wife was extremely attractive, and so his idea was like, they're going to see how, how good-looking my wife is, and they're going to say, well, we just need to, he's in the way, let's take him out, you know what I mean? And so, um, so it's a, he's uh, my sister. She's just my sister. That's that's the plan that he comes up with. So, anyways, this guy, this king, 
uh, named Ab Abimelech basically says, well, yeah, your sister's, you know, yeah, I think I like that girl. So he, you know, he kind of takes her into his, you know, we'll just, she's going to be one of my women, one of my wives. And, um, but the beautiful thing is before he and Sarah ever had a, you know, he, a real connection, God actually came to King Abimelech in a dream. Amen. He says, don't you mess with her. Amen. Don't you, don't even touch her. God had Abraham's back and all of our back because it's, you know, where we come from. But, um, he said, he is a prophet. He's like, you're on, basically, you're on the road to destruction if you touch that girl. That's the first time we ever hear prophet. It's from, from God actually talking to this king. And he's, you're, you're definitely, you're in for it. But he tells him about her real husband, his name Abraham, and he's a prophet. And he, he's going to actually pray for you and you're going to live. So return her to him. And so the first time we ever hear this story of a prophet, it's kind of a silly story when you think about it. And, and he comes back to Abraham and like, I didn't know it was your wife. Why didn't you tell me this? You almost got me killed. I you know, God was really going to, I was going to be in some serious trouble. And he's like, well, you know, obviously it was a little insecure, you know, whatever. But, um, but it's interesting. The first time we have, ever hear prophet is, is God talking about Abraham, the father of faith. You know what I mean? And it's just like, and, and the quote that God says, return her, like Abraham's going to, He's going to pray for you, and you're going to live. He's a prophet. And so the first time we hear of a prophet, it's not like, oh, you're, you're, you're going to burn, son. You know what I mean? Woman, you know, I know the sins you've been committing, boy, skinny boy on the eighth row, whatever. You know what I mean? It's, it's not the accuser of the brethren. It's actually God like, hey, you're going in a direction. But he's like, I have a prophet who can pray for you, and it will, it will cause life to come. Like, you're, you're going to live. And it's this beautiful thing. And that's the first time we've ever heard of a prophet. If you're just reading the Bible from left to right. And um, I love James 2, 23. The scripture says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Righteousness. Um, and he was called the friend of God. He adds that little portion in there. And he was called the friend of God. And so Abraham was known as God's friend. And so the first person we've ever heard of that is called prophet in the Bible by God himself, is also called in our holy scriptures, in the word of God itself, the one who's the friend of God, the first time that's ever talked about. And so we look at these things, and I know these words, prof prophecy, discerning of spirits, you know, miraculous power, you know, all these things can, they can seem maybe even intimidated, especially if we've never really looked into them. But prophecy and the prophetic gift is rooted in connection, relational connection with God. And if you remember when we introduced the prophetic gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, he literally says, now concerning spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, 12, 1, I don't want you to be ignorant. You were once Gentiles carried away to dumb idols, idols that cannot speak. But you are not any longer. There are diversity gifts in the same spirit. It's like, hey, there's something to speaking and connection and communication and fellowship and relationship that causes all of this to flow in your life and touch other people. Your, per, your personal connection spilling over into someone else's life and giving them life is, 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 is a good definition of what prophetic ministry looks like. It's someone who's come into Christianity, understand, yes, their sin has been taken away from them. They're not in the old identity they once were. They are actually connected. The veil was ripped from top to bottom in the holiest place. They've stepped in boldly before the throne of grace. They've they have communion and fellowship with God who's actually on the inside of them. 
there's relational connection. And that connection happens to spill over. And that overflow and that spill gives life to everyone that gets to touch it. And that's what Christianity looks like. You know, um, there's, there's prophesied. This, this is a little bit different. The, the first, since he was the first one to prophesy or, or to be called prophet. But there's another guy, and this is probably one of my favorite ones. If you look in the book of Jude, Jude verse 14. Um, there's another guy that's, that's listed as being the first to have ever prophesied. And this is our, our grandfather, great, you know, this is Enoch. And it's, it's this interesting thing that's thrown into Jude, verse 14. It says, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam. That's a long time ago. Adam's seventh, sixth grandson or whatever. Um, or fifth, I guess. He's seventh from Adam. Enoch, seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with tens, with ten thousands of his saints. And so in the book of Jude, the last book in the Bible, right before the Revelation, like you have this other guy being mentioned, who is the first to have ever prophesied. So if you want to do the law first mention, the first called prophet, you'd say Abraham, but the first to have ever prophesied, which would kind of make him a prophet too, you could fight between these two guys, but I think you could look at both of them. Because here you have Enoch, that's the first to have ever given a prophecy. And the funny about, thing about Enoch's prophecy is he's prophesying about the Lord's return. And he's prophesying about the Lord's return. This is somebody in the book, this is like somebody in Genesis 5. That's before, you know, nobody even knows who God truly is. Adam had walked with him, you know what I mean? But there's this guy named Enoch that stepped into such a relationship with God that he was prophesying not about God coming down and redeeming mankind and going back, but actually coming back on the return trip. So here's somebody named Enoch who's the first to have ever prophesied as far as the law first mentioned in, in the Jude verse 14. And it's this, this guy who's entered into some type of relational connection that he's like on a whole nother wavelength. And this guy is probably one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Because if you look back at you know, Enoch's life, if you look back at like Genesis 5, it's literally just going through some genealogies of, of basically um, Adam's sons, Adam and, you know, and then obviously what happened to Cain and Abel, but then there's Seth and then and after Seth and, and, and seven down the lines, this guy named Enoch. So you have all these, these strange names. After he begot Jared, Mahaliel lived 830 years. Um, Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. And Enoch lived you know, a different Enoch. And then it's just going through all these names, but for some reason it says something different about this guy, Enoch, that he's quoting in, in the book of Jude, in Genesis 5. Um, it says, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. That was his son. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Then Methuselah lived 187 years, and we got Lamech, and Lamech, Methuselah, and that, that, you know, you know you're going to keep going on. But there's this little quote about Enoch that, that's, it's kind of this mystical Easter egg that's, that's thrown into the Bible way back in the day, that, hey, there was a guy named Enoch that lived exactly 365 years, which is like, you know, 365, like, like a full turn of our planet. This, 
this prophetic picture of somebody whose life fully was consumed in something. But what he's known for is that he walked with God and then he wasn't. It didn't say he walked and then he passed away and then he had this, you know what I'm saying? It's like he walked with God until he did not exist on this earth. He walked until he was not, for God took him. It doesn't say God killed him. It's not the author of that, right? He walked with God and was not, for God took him. And so here's this guy, and you have to think like the first to have listed ever to have prophesied in the book of Jude is somebody who's known for walking with God who's in a relational connection. And not only did he walk with God, he walked with him in such a level. You know, Jesus, no one comes to the Father through me, except through me. You know what I'm saying? No one's going to, like, Enoch stepped into relationship to where he saw, just like what Abraham saw, who was a friend of God. Remember Jesus said, Abraham desired to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. Remember saying that to the Pharisees? And everyone's like, Jesus, you ain't even 50 years old. How you, you know what I'm saying? So Jesus is Yahweh, before Abraham was, I am who actually has had a relationship with, with Abraham, the father of the faith, a thousand years back. And here you have Enoch, who walked in such a relationship with God that he actually foresaw the cross to the point where he actually saw the return. And he walked with God, came one with him. He walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And it's this beautiful picture of somebody who, you know, 365 years, walks with God, and he's the seventh from Adam in our full week, you know, the number of fullness, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, Isaiah 11, 2, and all these, you know, the, the sevenfold Spirit of God, all these different things. But his, his life is marked as one who knew God so well that he walked with him. And he wasn't. But he's the first to have ever prophesied. And he prophesied about the turn. Now, some of you guys, you know, obviously the books of Enoch were, especially the first book of Enoch was recovered in Dead Sea Scrolls. It's not the Bible. But it certainly lines up with the genealogies and stories of the Bible very well. And, um, but Enoch was just this brilliant, brilliant, incredible man. And you, and you have to think, like, he must have heard the stories because Adam still lived when Enoch was a kid. So he had to have heard the stories from his great-grandfather, Adam. It's like, wait, what? You walked with him? You walked with him? Yeah, we used to walk with him in Eden. Like, what was that? Wait a second. Why, don't you, why aren't people telling me this? Like, what was that? How does this happen? This is just me thinking, but it's like there's something that came to an idea in this, this man Enoch's head that's like, wait a second, we can do that? And he stepped into his, his, the lineage, the original lineage of his old, of his ancestors, started walking with them, you know. And it's brilliant, you know, so much of his writings have influenced a lot of the books of the Bible, things Jesus said, you know, all the writings of Peter, especially the writer of Jude, uh, or Jude himself especially. Um, a lot of people think he built the Great Pyramid. You guys heard that before? The Pyramid of Giza, and, you know, one of the seven wonders of the world, one of the top ones. Yeah, a lot of biblical people believe that that's, you know, there's a scripture in Isaiah 19. Now I'm going to nerd out a little bit, but there's a scripture in Isaiah 19, 19 that actually talks about this large pillar that's set up on the boundary of Egypt where the, where the two boundaries of Egypt meet, and that's where the Pyramid of Giza is, and that that, that pillar is going to be a sign in the return of the Lord. If you read Isaiah 19, it's very, it's kind of cool right there, you know what I mean? But so many of the old, old writings, they, they actually believe that Enoch was the architect of Giza. And it's the only pyramid there in Egypt that doesn't have uh, hieroglyphics on the inside of it, doesn't have any of that kind of stuff. It's completely different. But it's a wonder of the world, you know? 
they didn't even know until until they could take aerial views they had discovered you know obviously it's been discovered forever but when they took aerial views they saw that there was a slight curve around the entire thing it's not a perfect square it's like slightly curved but the degree of the curve is the exact degree of the planet earth curve like the 360 you know our planet it's like the exact thing the core temperature of that pyramid is the exact average of the temperature of the entire world you know there's certain stars and stuff that it points to there's you know it's kind of cool i'm not saying that it was constructed or at least the architect was enoch but uh you can you know ask me about it later but you know what i'm saying it's <laughs> the king's chamber inside of it is the exact dimensions of the chamber of the holy of holies you know what i'm saying and the and the and the i forget it was sarcophagus or whatever the where they put the casket on the inside what is it called sarcophagus sarcophagus thank you is the same dimensions of the box that the Ark of the Covenant went inside on the inside of it. So, I mean, you can, we can just nerd out on this stuff all day. And I'm not saying that he's, he's the architect of it, but, uh, you know, I got a hunch, you know what I'm saying? And there's a lot more to it, but it's just this brilliant place that no one can build. I mean, ancient aliens think some aliens came down, some, you know, something, you know what I mean? And did it. What'd you learn about at church today? Oh, he's talking about like pyramids and chambers. I don't know, Enoch, right? Prophecy. And they'd be like, okay, I'll never remind me not to. Don't ever invite me to that place. You know? <laughs> Were they speaking in tongues, going crazy when you walked in? Like, no, 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 no. Uh, you know, but hey. So, anyways, that's what's kind of referenced about Enoch. Anyways, at least uh, in the Bible side of it, you know, it's like he has this prophetic life of somebody who's actually walked with God in relationship, and because of this relationship, he's actually known things that he couldn't know. And um, I think it's wonderful. But these are our law of first mentions, and we could probably do a couple more little funny things, but these are our law of first mentions of what prophecy actually is and why does the, the Bible say to so earnestly covet and zealously go after and pursue these things? Because they're rooted in, in someone who's actually walking in close fellowship and relationship with God. You know, Exodus sixteen sixteen, manna would, would fall out of heaven. The bread of angels would fall out of heaven on the ground. When, when the Israelites were walking through the wilderness, through the desert, and um, that's how they would get their food. And when it happened, God told Moses, I'm going to make the bread of heaven rain down as a test for them that they'll actually get up and gather what ended up becoming known as the daily bread. And they said, every day they've got to gather it, but they can't, they can't hold it, don't put it in Tupperware because tomorrow it'll be rotten. If you read that story in Exodus 16. And there's this prophetic picture that man lives off every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The bread was going to be there every single day. So don't get nervous. Oh, this is the best thing I'm ever going to have. And if, what, if, what if God's not good and He doesn't give us bread tomorrow? It's like, well, hey, well, that's not faith. And that, that produces you know, some spoilage going on. But the reality is, is the words of God proceed from His mouth. The Lord is my shepherd. John 10.10, 10, you know, like, my sheep follow me because they know me. They know my voice. There's something to live in the spirit-filled Christian walk that is so rooted and grounded relationally in connection with God, you know, that we're actually having fellowship or communion with Him on the regular, on a daily minimal basis. Like that's that's the way we live our life, and in that we have bread to set before other people as well. The gift of prophecy is somebody who's entered into that relationship, which is just basic New Testament Christianity. And now, sometimes they get bread, 
that's actually not even for themselves, but actually to give somebody, to give somebody else. You know, because when we receive, we actually are we're edified from that. When we release, we're actually edified from that as well. It's the most brilliant thing in the world. And so prophecy, I wanted to hit that. You know, we obviously major. I won't say major, but it's kind of a major thing even at our church because we have prophetic teams and prayer teams and all this stuff. But this is an aspect of Christianity that every believer is called to walk in. It doesn't mean you're going to prophesy that, you know, who the next president's going to be. You know, maybe somebody can do that. I don't know. A lot of them were wrong this time, so they all just got the cut. Like, oh, y'all are out. Sorry. No, no, no comebacks either. That was a tryout, you know. But uh, no, just kidding. But, you know, it, it just, you know, the prophetic office has become kind of a mockery in the world, and I think that the Lord has allowed it, and I think He's pleased with it. Because a lot of what's masquerade as prophetic needs to be needs needs to needs to take a hike because prophecy actually exists to edify and exhortate and build up people. And more than that, just like our kids are learning, it draws people to God. It brings comfort and draws them to God. And it can be the most simple thing. I was I was um, I was I'm gonna in parentheses doing a conference once. I wasn't really. I was I was literally just serving on the our prayer team where I would give prophetic words and stuff. And they would get me up on the stage sometimes afterwards, and and they'd allow me to pray with people in the back or whatever. And um, it was a uh, you know it was this guy named Larry Randolph, who's like a prophetic guy, author of a bunch of books and stuff, and Bob Jones, who's also known in that scene very well at the time. He's passed away now, but anyhow, it's there there. So I was just a, I was in my early I was probably in my mid twenties, and um, this lady. This woman and her daughter came back to receive prayer, and the daughter was older than me at the time. She was probably early 30s, and a um, very pretty girl. And her mom, who had ushered her back in, back, you know, to receive prayer, and I was the guy to do it, right? And me and a couple other people, but um, she just kind of had her arms crossed. You could tell she was just humoring her mom. Like, all right, let's let somebody pray for me and see, see what's, what's going on. You know what I mean? Just like she didn't want to be there. I see a couple of you guys like that today, to be honest, but... I'm just kidding. I don't see it. Come on. No. But, you know, the sinner, like, you know, she had that kind of, like, chip diamond, like, I'm not impressed. You know what I mean? So she's sitting like that, and they, they walk her in, and, and it was her and her mom, and I just noticed she's very pretty, and she obviously didn't want to be here, and, and I, and I kind of want to be like, I'm sorry, your mom's dragging you into this stuff. You know, it happened to me when I was young, too. Like, you don't have to sit through this. Like, you know, but, I, you know, in my mind, I was like, all right, Lord, what do you have for this, for this girl? She's a little bit older than me. Um, and I, I, I saw one little picture and I heard one little phrase and the phrase was, it's not your fault. That's it. It's not your fault. And that was a clear phrase that came to my mind. And it was one of those things like, I don't, I don't have an interpretation for that. I don't know what that's pertaining to. Maybe she feels guilty about something, but she doesn't need to worry about it. Like, I, I don't know. And then I saw a ring, a picture of a ring, a diamond ring. And we have, even some of the, you know, now here in our church, we have, we have rules about this. People don't prophesy pregnancies and engagements and marriages. We have safeguards for people, for them to just encourage people, even if they do see those things, just kind of, hey, leave it out. And um, just because we don't, you know, everybody, we're human and we're learning and we're growing. Um, but I had that safeguard, too, in my mind, just thinking, like, I'm going to tell this girl I see a diamond ring. She's going to think I'm trying to holler at her for one. Um, or, you know something you know something weird and um but i felt like the ring was something that the lord is giving her it's between him and her he's giving you a ring and so i'm sitting there and sometimes you know it can be a little difficult to just pray and release something to somebody when they're looking at you like 
you're an idiot, you know, I don't want to be here. Um, but, I, you know, but we gave words to the mother, like, because that was easier, her mom. But then I just kind of looked at her, and I, I feel like I have a couple things for you, if that's okay. And, and just, like, kind of shrug, like, yeah, well, you know, what's up, you know. I felt like I was supposed to tell you it's not your fault. And, um, and you could see, like, like that reflex of, like, don't cry, don't show vulnerability, like, gripped her. And I said, and I feel like, I, and I saw the Lord giving you a ring, but it was from him. It's not a wedding, like from the Lord to you. And then just break mode, you know what I mean? The mom's sitting there, the girl's breaking, just boom, just crush mode. And it's just like, that's when you know, gotcha. Coming in with that attitude, coming in hot, and guess what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, got him. So um, just crush mode. And come to find out, they ended up sharing with us, she was in a relationship and it was a bad one and she was engaged to the guy and she gave him the ring back and then he was obviously had a little control issue because he took it another step further in manipulation and he ended his own life and he ended it with a letter saying that this was because of her and so then you've got me who just what do we say just work here yeah that's right that's right we just work here. I'm just showing up for my shift, basically. All the big names, they were doing the stories, and I was just the kid back there in the back praying for people, you know? And so I'm sure that, you know, they're probably disappointed, like, oh, this is guy going to give us a word? <laughs> what about one of them, you know? Um, but the Lord's so kind and loving to this woman. Edification, exhortation, and comfort. I think comfort would be this one, right? It's not your fault. You're, somebody's carrying a houseload of guilt over them. Like I'm the reason someone's dead, you know. Maybe I let them on too long, or maybe I should, you know, whatever it is. And it's and it's the word of the Lord comes through, and it says, "Hey, it's it is not your fault." And that was one example I could think of in this that edification, exhortation, and comfort. Some a story that was short. That was and there's so many of them. I have many. Many of our crew have many, many of these. So many of these. But it was one of those stories where it was just like I was so. It was like God's having a conversation with somebody and you're a translator or you're like, you're just not even in their world, but he's so in their world and they feel it. And they feel that you're not in their world because there's no way you can know this. So I know this isn't coming from you. And that's the beauty of what the kids are learning. The D of the ABCDs is like it draws people to God. I never saw her again. They never asked. They didn't ask my name. They didn't hug me to goodbye or whatever. She got touched by God and broke and broke. And there was another aspect of the story that her kids actually found a ring and gave it to her because she had children already, little kids. And she said, this is my real ring and it's from God. And so that was, this is one of those stories, right, um, that you can't make something up like this. If, if you did, you would be so, God would deal with you, <laughs> honestly. It's coming. And I'm not God's judgment or whatever, but you're going to be exposed. You tell stories like this and you're making it up. At least I hope. I'm, I'm pretty sure, actually. Fear of the Lord's a real thing. It's going to happen. It's coming. And to the level you've used it to, to build yourself up, it's, gonna, it's coming. Um, you, you'll be exposed. But, but, but it's a real story. My wife's just shaking her head at me right now. Just like, I can't believe you're saying it like that. But, but you know, but I, I value integrity hard. And I want, you know, there's a there's an old saying the coaches used to say when you get too fancy and you make a mistake in basketball, they say you put too much mustard on the hot dog. Too much mustard on that dog. That's what they would say. 
shouldn't have done a fan. You should have just done a fundamental, you know. And, and, and it's true. So many times we use stories. And the Lord warned me about this a long time ago because I was around a lot of people. And I've been around ministers that have done that. And he told me, if you embellish stories or if you even add to them, if you make them a little sweeter for the stuff, the people that are immature will be attracted to you instead of me. And that's dangerous. People, some people discern it. They got a meter. Like that doesn't feel doesn't feel real. But the immature won't, and they'll just be attracted to you. And we're called to draw people to God. So in our household, that's just kind of a little quote there for us because we don't have to put mustard on the hot dogs. And and, and we have we do these teachings with all of our teams, and we'll probably do another one. It's another way if you really want to serve here, and you want to walk into the prophetic giftings of 1 Corinthians 14 and, and, and maybe go a little deeper into some of this stuff. We do a teaching probably quarterly, maybe every other month for people to kind of learn how the Lord speaks to them all the way throughout the scriptures and, and in their own hearts and, and developing a way of actually just delivering things like you're serving bread instead of trying to force feed people down their mouths and stuff like that. It's a really cool, um, and I recommend it. I don't, I personally, it's, it's the fruit of the Spirit and the way we do ministry here in general. I don't like people even stepping on the stage that haven't been through it and don't understand it, whether it's worship, you know, prayer teams, prophetic teams, prayer on the side, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's like the essence of the Hoff. But um, anyhow, now that I'm rambling, it's, that, that, that was a story where, where it's just like, whoa, earnestly desire crave to the level of coveting to the level of burning like somebody who's enraged you know what i'm saying pursuing earnestly zealously going after these gifts and it's just like why and it's just like hey dad wants us to be to be proficient in this why because he doesn't want his kids walking around with guilt and shame i love the lyric they had on the second song that they added there it's so beautiful you're not who you're not what you did people don't know this they feel like, no, you need to, You are what you did. You are a sinner. Now sign up for our club. It's like, no, 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 not the gospel, not this way, not the way, you know. And he wants us to be so empowered that one way we're effective in ministry, in our, in our life, is in our spheres of life. We should, we, should, we should be drawing people to God. When Jesus said make disciples, he didn't mean go and scare people into signing up to your club. Go and tell them they're going to get tortured forever. Don't go and tell them they're going to do these things. And, you know, he didn't, none of this was even in the thought of the early church. That stuff didn't come around until later, to be honest, in history. A few hundred years later, um, a lot of our hell paradigms and the way we think um, came. They weren't there. Um, anyway, so, but, but when he said make disciples, it's just like you go and tell like this good news. It's not gospel. It's not a music genre. It, it literally means it's news that's so good it's incredible. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you evidence that news with the reality. When Jesus told those guys, hey, you think this is, this is important, Nathaniel and Philip, like you're going to see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Like there's a new religion that's Jesus himself. And you guys are going to ascend and descend as messengers into heaven and out of heaven. And you're going to deliver the bread of heaven to people. And they're going to eat it and their eyes are going to lighten up like Solomon eating honey. Like their lives are going to lighten up and they're going to, they're going to be drawn not to you but to me. Me as in Jesus. Me as in God. Our dad. You know what I mean? And this is, this is the weaponization of the church, of true Christianity. Amen. That the gates of hell won't prevail against. Ephesians 3 says the church... By the church, the manifold 
wisdom of God. The wisdom of God will be manifested to the principalities and powers, the demonic things that rule over regions and governments and religious systems and all these things. Like The church is empowered in such a way that they train and, and are equipped in the giftings of God, the empowerments of the Spirit, and they walk with those things into the real world, the secular world, because there's no such thing as secular. Those hand parentheses, but it's like into the secular world, and they affect it everywhere. Why? Because they're not just regular humans anymore. They're gifted. They've been empowered, and they see through love. You know, and they unlock people. Yeah. So, Lord, we thank you for the truth of your Word and the Bible, and and the new covenant, covenant that you've empowered us, Lord. That you've released us into the reality of this covenant and given us gifts and even given us things that we're allowed to hunger and pursue and practice and train in. If your word says that you desire that we would all, all walk in the, in the giftings, especially the prophetic ones, I know that you don't, you don't set us up. You know, there's not a class system in your kingdom. You know, we're a family. And Lord, I ask that the gifts of your spirit, even if they've been dormant, even if they've been rebuked and forced down, Lord, would start to grow and thrive. You know, Paul laid his hands on Timothy. Like even right now, would you spiritually lay your hands upon this whole house right now and stir up the giftings that you've put inside of all of your kids, all of your family? Everybody listen to the message. Would you stir, you know, you don't have to, but you can put your hand on your chest. That's what I'm doing. But it's like, would you stir within us? You are in us. You are with us. Would you stir within us the giftings, the tools of the harvest to bring the harvest of the kingdom, the harvest of the end of the age, the harvest of people coming to know you. Thank you for the tools and the gifts you've given us. Let us be faithful with them. Thank you for your word that proceeds from your mouth. Let's be faithful to connect. Let us know. I mean, let it be real to everyone that hears my voice how much you desire our relational connection. 